Thank you all for that awesome presentation of ways to connect with the least of these. Amen, church? You know, I've heard in my short life people say things about mission trips as far as the cost and the risk and whatnot. And usually the kickback is, well, there's lots of needs here. That is true. Population of the United States is 5% of the world. And I've found that churches that go give and serve people who will never be able to contribute to their budget, never raise their Sunday school or worship attendance numbers, that always works together with reaching people here. And I want to start the gears thinking now, if they're not already, but most of the churches in the good old U.S. of A that are, as we hear, often thrown out as the excuse of why I'm not obedient and to follow Jesus and to give or to go to the Great Commission to the ends of the earth is most of the churches that are going to people that they don't know are doing the best job of reaching people that they do know. Because... The ultimate test of your heart is how you treat people that will never be able to do anything for you in return. And the way that that is ultimately measured is going to do urban ministry with very poor people, going into certain segments of American society, and also going overseas. So I want you to think about that. It always works together that churches who have a heart for people here have a heart for people there as well. I want those gears to be thinking because often what you hear From some people that are in churches in the U.S., the reasons why they don't do it, uh, most often those churches don't do a very good job at all for reaching their communities. I just want to let that sit. And let's go to Proverbs chapter 4. That's one way to begin a sermon, right? A little bit of an upper note there. Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 20. This is the first installment of our new series called Slow Fade. Our hearts need to be looked after. You know, it's interesting as you're turning there um, to think within Christianity, often big sins scare us, right? Like when you think about someone who comes and gives a testimony, often the quote unquote powerful, the good testimonies are those that involved. I was involved in drugs and in, you know, trafficking and, and violence and gang banging and drive bys and all of that and then Jesus saved me at the age of 13 you know one of those types of 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 testimonies but i think it is far more scary to think about the possibility of our hearts slowly fading away from a passionate love of Jesus Christ because it's very easy for us to want to avoid those those large sins of Adultery and fornication and and so forth and so on. But C.S. Lewis made a statement in his classic work called the Screwtape Letters. And this is in your uh, monthly newsletter, but this is the correspondence of two demons. I want you to imagine for just a moment the logic of demons whose assigned task is to get you to pull away from love for Jesus Christ. And here's what C.S. Lewis wrote. You will say, this is from the perspective of a demon, you will say that these are very small sins and doubtless like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember 
The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. The enemy in this case being God from a demonic perspective. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So for these next four weeks, we're going to look at what God's Word has to say about the slow fade of the heart that can happen to you and I when we're around the things of Jesus. When we're around Christian people, when we listen to Christian music, when we are regularly involved in church, there is the possibility that we can be around the things of God, but our hearts slowly, bit by bit, leak away and we find ourselves unable to be excited about what it means to be saved. We find ourselves very difficult to get into a worship song. Song that glorifies Jesus Christ. It, it, it's almost impossible for us to conjure up the love necessary. And I need to brag right here. We had 22 folks come out. The love necessary to go tell people about Jesus Christ. This past Wednesday night, our first ever, as we're calling it, our reach out event to go out into our community and visit people and share the gospel. We had 22 folks. First time in the middle of a plague. I'm surprised there's anybody at church this morning with everybody being sick and coughing up lungs and the flu and the crud and all the stuff that's going around and, and the patch, the fact that it's pitch black by 5.30, 6 o'clock and we went out at 7. Man, good job. Praise God for being a church that loves people. Amen? That is awesome. We should give God glory for that and for what He's done. And that is a, that is a, that is a good start. I'm like, oh Lord. He looked at me. Does that, does that mean he's going to ask me to go? Here's the thing. For some of us, you, you, you've, never, you've, never, you've never shared your faith yet. You've never told anybody about Jesus yet. You may even have ventured to the edge of the pond of inviting someone to church. Good job. But you are absolutely mortified. You are scared dead. You say, Jeff, if I went to somebody's house that I didn't know to tell them about Jesus Christ, I'd be just like the guards that saw that angel when Jesus was raised from the dead and they fell down as dead men. Say, Jeff, I could never do that. That's a lie from hell. Because there is a verse, and y'all can help me remember, there is a verse in God's inspired, infallible, and errant word that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So if you've never done anything like that, if that scares you to death, I want you to begin to pray. I hope it's this month, but, but if it takes you some longer to get with the Lord and maybe you want to feel that you're a little bit better prepared, come on Wednesday nights, we do that stuff. How to prepare to engage and talk with people. But I want you to begin to pray. And especially if you're in any type of leadership in this church, what a great example to be a leader. Do you realize that there are so many people that have come here in the past, as Fred talked about the connection cards, I try to keep up with them, uh, our, our leadership tries to keep up with them, but there's a lot of folks that y'all have done a great job to come to Rocky Mount Baptist Church, so guess what we need? We need your help. And it is altogether biblical, it is altogether joyous to be able to go do that. So I just want to put that in your thinker to let that soak as well. 
the slow fade away from the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, we find an amazing passage in the Bible to where it zones in on where the issue really is, and that is the heart. So I'm going to begin to read in verse 20, walk through verse 27, and then we'll try to unpack that with the time that we have left. The Bible says, My son, be attentive to my words. Amen, parents. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your hearts, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Here's our key verse. Keep or guard your hearts with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure or they will be secure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And there's a lot that's been spoken on the heart in our culture ever since that demonic song, um, Achy, breaky heart. It makes me want to blow up a radio. You know how that goes. And let me just go ahead and say that I have repented for the heresy of crediting as we did last week, or I did last week, Alan Jackson with the song that I'm going to love you forever. After that, some of you are like, it's Randy Travis. It's Randy Travis. Y'all were gone after that. So that is, is the case. Some of you maybe even remember the band back in the day, the band called heart. There are all sorts of movies and books and, and music and that deal with the heart, but what the Bible is going to unpack for us here in just a few moments is absolutely revolutionary when you think about anthropology and what it means to be human. But first, three points about context. When you read the book of Proverbs, anytime you pick it up, there's 31 chapters, it'd be a great thing to do, just one chapter a month. Understand that in Proverbs, the Bible is teaching us that fathers have a duty to teach their children. Go with me to the beginning of the chapter there in verse 1. The Bible says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Also in verse number 10, the Bible says, Hear my son and accept my words. We read in verse number 20, My son, be attentive to my words. So biblically, guys, you have the duty... To teach your children, let's rephrase that. You have the awesome opportunity to teach your children about the truth of God's Word. Children should be obedient to their parents as Christ was obedient to the Father. Second point about context when you're reading the book of Proverbs is that when it is heard, God's wisdom demands your absolute attention. Verse 20 says, to be attentive to my words. I've heard people say before about different preaching styles. They say, well, it's your church or another church or this or that. I, 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 I wasn't bored. I didn't drift off one time. I wasn't, I didn't go to sleep during the sermon. Well, if you're an adult, then be an adult. If you're saved and you come to church, you should discipline yourself to listen. Amen? I'm just, and I know sometimes people will say things like that by way of compliment or, you know, about the music or whatnot. But my goodness, folks, have we gotten to the point of immaturity in America that we show up at church and say, entertain me or I'm going to zone off? Seriously? Is it that bad yet? Look, man, we want to make our sermons, our Sunday school lessons, our music as engaging as possible because to do something for the Lord and it be boring, I think, is a sin. 
We don't want to. The word of the Lord is full of power. You know, and everybody's just like, Lord, please give me a stick so I can poke my own eye out. I'm just, I'm dying here in church. Help me out, preacher. But on the same, the same instance, we find over and over in the book of Proverbs, be attentive. Discipline yourself. When you open up your Bible at home, you say, all right, I'm gearing up. I'm putting on the gloves. I don't know about you, but I can't hardly pray or read the Bible without my mind going a hundred miles a minute. And yes, I did have an energy drink this morning. I can already feel it. You may be able to tell. But it's so difficult to... uh... Maybe that was a little bit too candid. We can agree that it's difficult to do the right thing without distraction. Not only do we have our ADHD random thoughts or we have things that are happening and cell phones going off, but we've got the enemy who wants to distract us. So something, whenever you see the word Proverbs, you should think, listen, be attentive, discipline yourself to do it. If you're a grown up, grow up. All right. We need to we need to get away from that old school mentality. If I go to where the music entertains me, I go to the church to where I like where the preacher entertains me and I go to where the Sunday school. No, this is not a show. It's not. Choir, musicians, y'all had a grand slam. Amen. Did a great job. So honoring to the Lord, just as I am, broken and needing to be mended and waiting to be filled. Those words and the music is just great. But listen, they don't do that as a show. It's an offering to Jesus Christ. So if you're just looking for a church to come to, to be entertained, um, we would just humbly say, find somewhere else because we want people, if you're saved, you want to reach out. Just where we are. Never heard a preacher say that, right? Seriously, we, in American Christianity, we have got, we have got to grow up. That, that's all I can say. Verse 21, let them not escape from your sight. In other words, what the Bible is saying here, it is saying that keep them within your heart, that when received, God's wisdom must be guarded in the heart. It must be guarded. It must be protected. It must be valued. You know, there's all sorts of things that we hear. Like a family that I talked to recently, they said we had some people over to the house and our little four-year-old boy says, I want to do the prayer. And the little boy said the prayer, but they said we do listen to country music sometimes. And he confused a country music song title with a prayer. And he bowed his head and closed his eyes and folded his little hands and said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. And if you never listen to country music, that is uh, basically title refrain of, of a song that's out there. And she says, I wasn't sure whether to send him to his room or to give him a spanking or to say, well, why don't you say that other prayer we know about Jesus and so forth and so on. We have to be so careful because what we may hear, we may parrot. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 35. And by the way, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures here this morning. And uh, so we can only pack so much in our in our worship guide. So if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and whip out your pen. 
Proverbs chapter 8, verse 35, For whoever finds Me, this is speaking of God and His wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. So what must you guard most of all? You must guard your heart. So here's the two preliminary questions though. You say, okay Jeff, if we're going to guard our heart, we have to understand what does that mean? Here's a statement from the New Bible Dictionary. It's even cited in Turabian in your bulletin. Yes, your pastor is an uber nerd. This is what it says about the heart. That the heart is essential the whole man with all his attributes, physical, intellectual, and psychological, of which the Hebrew thought and spoke, and the heart was conceived of as the governing center for all of these. It is the heart which makes a man or beast what he is and governs all his actions, a.k.a. Proverbs 4.23. Character, personality, will, mind are modern terms which all reflect something of the meaning of heart in its biblical usage. So you can possibly define heart as the essence of who you are. Second question. So, okay, Jeff, if we know now what the heart is, if it's the essence of who I am, then what does it mean to guard my heart? The Bible says here in verse 23, to keep your heart with all vigilance. That word there, keep, has the idea of guarding. So it's used in Joshua chapter 6, verse 18. In Joshua, uh, this is the quotation directly, but you, the Israelites, keep yourselves, guard yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. The background there is when God brought the Israelites to certain places in Canaan. They were to destroy the city and not take any, um, any valuables from that. They were to destroy it all. So what he's saying here is to guard yourself from things that you should not have. Things that are forbidden. That's what Satan tried to do in the garden and succeeded. He tried to get Adam and Eve to be seduced by what they could not have. Now, isn't it interesting when you read the Genesis account of creation that God says, I give you any tree of the garden. And God is not a one-crop farmer. This is before the fall. This is before the flood destroyed much of the ecosystem of what we have to deal with today and But they wanted what they couldn't have. Have you ever been there? God has provided so much for you, but you say, I want something that I shouldn't have. Now, let me just make a note of clarification. If you are a recovering legalist, which some of us are, this is not, when we see the Bible talking about keeping your heart and guarding your heart, this is not a command to monkify your heart. This is not a command for you to go into your room with your Bible, with your Christian books, with your literature, with your notebook, and simply live the life of a hermit trying to guard your heart from evil. Guard your heart simply means, as we're going to see in just a few moments, we submit that to Christ and we allow Him, through His grace, to guard our heart in the midst of doing His will. But let me give you several Scriptures before we break open that can of worms. Proverbs 21-23. The Bible says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Let me say that just one more time for those of us who can be a smart aleck once in a while. Some of y'all didn't take the cue to elbow and look at your neighbor. That's good. That's good. 
He who keeps, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Hello, McFly. Proverbs 13.3 Whoever guards his mouth, it's the same word in the Hebrew, preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips come to ruin. Loose lips sink ships. Proverbs 16.17 The highway of the upright turns aside from evil, and whoever guards his way preserves his life. Proverbs 25.20 Oh, guard my soul... This is speaking to God and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. And finally, in Psalm 16, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, this is translated in the English Standard Version, still the same word, preserve me, guard me, keep me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Check this out. I have no good apart from you. You say, Jeff, how do I guard my heart? The way that you guard your heart, the very first step is that you realize that you cannot guard your heart. But that it is desperately wicked above all things to the point that you don't even know your own heart and I can never know mine. We come to the first step of saying, Jesus, I cannot change my heart. I cannot guard my heart. I cannot keep myself away from evil things. But God, my heart has been broken by sin. It has been crushed. I have been wounded by divorce. I have been backstabbed by friends. I am seemingly that my heart is going crazy because of stress at work and financial difficulties. But Father, I am laying my broken, sinful, crushed, wounded, pierced heart before You. And God, I am realizing today that I cannot through I'm good with God because I don't do bad things. False, legalistic Christianity. God, I have failed miserably at that. And if I don't realize that, then it means that I'm full of pride. So God, I take this dirty, sinful heart and I lay it at Your feet asking You to make it new. And the Bible says that he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. God takes that sinful, wicked, dirty heart and he makes it into a new one, a heart of flesh. He changes the heart of stone to a heart that's real, a heart that feels compassion for like what we saw on the screen, like what's going to be presented. You can uh, sponsor one of these children in Costa Rica. It's a heart that is in tune with the master. So Jeff, how, how, how do we guard the heart from point A To point B, I know how to get saved, but how does that work? Here's the thing. When you surrender your heart and you submit your life every day to be used by the Master, He's going to take you places that you never imagined to go yourself. A couple years ago, you say, well, we've never never done an overseas trip here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. I believe there's some desire. I don't know if any one of us could have said, I think that next year, the year after, we're going to go do something like that. There may be some of you who say, you know, I didn't know if we'd ever come to the point where we'd all go get a group out and go tell people about Jesus from the church. But it happened. God will use you in the battle. I remember when I, I lived in Georgia and there was a place called Yates Springs. It was a beautiful, beautiful natural spring. And it was on private property, but we got the opportunity and the permission to go. 
And we had tried to dive down in this hole. There were people that had found all sorts of cool stuff down in there, shark's teeth. I mean, this is in the middle of Georgia, not close to the beach at all. I mean, just, I mean, when you, I can show you pictures of Yates Spring, just beautiful, pure water, just pumping out from this source under the ground. And we had tried to dive down that to, to, to just do some free diving. And I'm telling you, the current was so strong, you couldn't dive in the hole. You, you, you I mean, Maybe maybe someone who has incredible diving experience, has weights and puts a fastener and all that, but just free diving, we would just get carried away from the current. And you see, when you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ, the flow of it, that's exactly what it says in verse number 23 here, for from the heart flow the springs of life, the product of your life. You see, Jonathan Edwards said this, and I hope, I hope that you grab this statement. It's in, in your bulletin as well. He says, if the great things of Christianity are rightly understood, they will affect, help me out church, the what? The hearts. The reason why men are not affected by such infinitely great, important, glorious, and wonderful things as they often hear and read in the Word of God is undoubtedly because they are blind. If they were not so, it would be impossible and utterly inconsistent with human nature that their hearts should be otherwise than strongly impressed and greatly moved by such things. You see, if you are not moved by lost people, if you are not moved by the state of the nations and our nation, if people going to hell really doesn't cause any type of self-introspection to say, Lord Jesus, what can I do? How can you use me? I would just say there's a huge, massive spiritual problem, and it's called spiritual blindness. You need to repent and give your heart to Jesus. You see, that will set us free in the South of people hopping to all sorts of different churches. And I understand there are some churches that won't preach the gospel when it's a club. Amen? We can say it's just true. The Word of God is not preached, or you have to be this, or or you have to do such and such to, to come, but, but my goodness, let's get beyond the life about me. I love Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. That one line at the beginning, he says, it's not about you. You ever read that book? It's almost like an abrupt opening. Well, this morning, it's not about you. Say, Jeff, okay, well, how does guarding my heart, what, what does that exactly look like and how will that affect my life? Number one, guard your hearts. This is the Bible, because the product of your life flows from it. It says, from the heart flow the springs of life. And we should guard our heart because of its value. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7 and verse 21. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus also said in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Matthew 5.27, Jesus says that adultery can even take place in God's eyes in the heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That means that when we say things that we shouldn't, um, that's our heart being unveiled. And everybody says, woe is me. I didn't mean that. Well, it was there. 
The fact that the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart, I just want to encourage all of you in this increasingly anti-Christian culture. If you haven't noticed, head out of the sand. It is getting to the point where I believe that our younger students, when they get to be adults, there will be far less cultural credit for calling themselves a Christian than some of you um, who may be middle-aged adults and up have today. I don't think that we need to be ashamed of the gospel. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you guys agree. But I think that the fact that the world seems to get more evil and more sick and more depraved ought to cause us to stand even more firmly on the commands of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. To say... You guys are proving the point. All of the, all of the sickness of this world, you, by your own life, are showing that Jesus is the only one who can save it. Because if you think that a politician can do it, then man, I just say, wake up and smell the coffee. Some godly people who are trying to do some great things for our nations, but our help does not come from man. It comes from the Lord. We need to get to the point to where our heart is connected with Jesus so that we get excited about things that He does. We shouldn't come to church bored. We shouldn't hopefully leave church asleep. But we should be excited that guess what? As the night seems to grow darker, that's going to make Jesus even more glorious. My brother graduated uh, college a few months ago, and, and that was a, my mother was very, very relieved. She didn't know if that was going to, you know, happen. And, and so he, he graduated, and they, they stopped the ceremony several times, and people would cheer. This North Greenville University, very strict, and say, this, you have to save your applause until the end. And they actually escorted uh, some people out to get the security and like bring them out. I'm like, wow. And so I, I didn't want to miss it because I had my phone with Skype with my brother in Florida. He was able to see it. And then, man, once they gave us a permission, I cheered and cheered for him. And I waited. This is bad. Kids, don't do this. Don't follow your pastor's example in this. I waited. I was like, all right, administration, you play tough ball. Every time the, 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 it started to kind of go down, I just as loud as I could, I won't do it because I'll blow your ears and the speaker system. I just treat Justin Robinson. I know him. He's my hero, Justin. And then I would start people cheering again. And I did it two or three times. And the president's kind of like, you know, just tried to start it. And then my mom said there was a man in front of her who leaned to his wife and kind of pointed back like this. You know, when somebody points back with their thumb like that, that means they think you're a freak in nature. That's what that means. And he said, she said, he told his wife, he said, Apparently, he doesn't get out very much. <laughs> and I just was I'm going to rock him out. Whoa! And so, but I, I think that we should, we should honestly, we, we, can, we should be to the place to where guarding our heart doesn't have to do with being a Christian monk, trying to separate ourselves from evil people and be around perfect people and be around perfect this and perfect that. You know why that's a bad plan? Because you're a part of it. You're going to mess it up. We have to come to a place where we say, Lord Jesus, guarding my heart does not mean that I separate myself from the very people that you called me to tell about you. I don't know of any effective firefighter who never gets near a fire. 
Are you okay? If you don't have lost friends, today, begin to plan on how to get some. Jesus spent time, help me out church, with, with sinners. So we guard our heart because of it produces the product of our life. We guard our heart because of its great value. We guard our heart by putting away damaging and twisted words. Notice verse number 24. It says, put away from you crooked speech and devious talk far from you. Here's a question. Who do you listen to? I don't know about you. I have my political beliefs, but sometimes if I listen to a lot of who really agrees with me, I can become very cynical. I can become very negative. You have to guard against that. Think of when you put God's truth in your heart, when you come to church, when you plug into a podcast going down the road, when you listen to Christian, I mean, when you, when you put your heart in the place to where God's mercy and grace can, can fill it up, um, that is like you're raising your spiritual immune system instead of going out on some Halloween candy and having it lowered by what the world says is true. So finally, we guard our heart by keeping our eyes fixed on God's will for your life, despite distractions. Notice what it says there in verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be directly... uh, and your gaze be straight before you. You see, we do not guard the heart by putting it in a safe. Like one Connecticut gun owner said, he says, my guns are not hurting anyone. All they're doing is collecting dust and cat hair in the safe. The way that you use something effectively is you take it out of the case and you use it for the glory of God. And your heart will be filled with joy. Let me give you one final verse here. Psalm 34, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of of your heart. I believe there's nothing greater in the eyes of God. Nothing gives him more glory than seeing a sinner saved and that person begin to walk in faith in Jesus Christ. Is your heart drifted away from the Lord? Are you guarding your heart? Why don't you guard your heart today if you're a follower of Jesus Christ by surrendering it to allow God to use it in the battle for truth? in our generation. 2013, this is the year to surrender it, stop hiding it. And if you're not saved, why don't you give your heart to Jesus today?